Hello and welcome adventurers. Today's guest Z is a single mother traveler who spent the last eight years traveling full time. So welcome to our podcast, Z. Thank could you. Could you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and your family's unique travel lifestyle? Okay. We started traveling in 2015. And we started just traveling. Our first two years of traveling was just an extended holiday. So we would travel from the start of November till the end of January. My husband at that time had two weeks off with Boeing at the end of December, and he'd add another two weeks and he'd join us for December. So we started just trying to get out of the rat race with Christmas, just trying to sidestep. I was a stay-at-home mom, and we were just trying to sidestep Christmas altogether. So we started traveling that way. And then in a couple of years, we started traveling more full-time, more long-term, we would come back every three months. We'd explore a region for three months, come back to Seattle. And at some point in there, we started deciding to travel a little slower. I think actually my daughter went and spent a year with her dad in Seattle for sixth grade. The kids had been homeschooled. They'd never been to school. They'd never actually been to school till this year. But my daughter wants to spend a year with her dad. So she did. And she spent sixth grade. And after that, she decided she wanted to travel slower. So we spent more time in Malaysia and then Mexico. But for a while, we were traveling and exploring regions every three months. So it'd be like Penang. We did Penang, I think Thailand, and then came home. So we were doing that for a while. We spent some time in Australia, and then we came home. So we were doing that for a while. We are moving really fast. Ah, I miss I miss Thailand. That was a fun adventure for us. It was, was, yeah. It was a long time ago. We had a baby in tow at the time, so I, I, I'm looking forward to trying it again without the baby, with, a, with an actual kid who has full opinions. Yes. How how was that part of the trip? Because you know she was older, right, at the time. I started traveling with my kids when they were seven and eight. Okay. So, yeah, I never really traveled with them as smaller children, but I started traveling with them at seven and eight. So at that point, we were traveling, I think, with our Osprey bags, 30, 40 liters for three months. I think my daughter would bring art supplies and her tablet. My son would bring Legos and his tablet. (laughs) And that's about all we could take. And then we would leave our clothes in the country because they'd only have like eight or nine outfits. So we'd leave them and they'd come home with like art projects and rocks and all of that kind of stuff. So it was a cute age. Seven and eight was like a perfect age. They'd carry their own little bags and they were agreeable about most things. So it was a good age. (laughs) Well, well then, There's not a lot that I have met, at least, of full-time traveling moms uh, out there. (laughs) What inspired you to take on that type of lifestyle with with your two kids? Well, I think there's a couple of things. There are a number of moms that are out there single. I think we all kind of find each other and hang out a little bit. I was a traveler before I had kids. Mm. Also, I think my quality of life was much better out on the road. I had a helper most of the time, especially in Asia, especially in Malaysia. I had a helper to be, so that was great. But the quality of life was much better. Also, I think we don't realize the rest of the world really likes kids and lets kids be kids. I think in the U.S. there's a lot of like strain and stress, but it's actually easier in some ways to be a single mom outside the U.S., just the financial part, but also the rest of the world really likes kids. My, I haven't been to a country that didn't embrace kids for being kids. You know, kids in Mexico are running around at 11 p.m. with family having dinner. I mean, they really let kids be kids. Yeah. Yeah, that's a reoccurring thing I keep hearing doing this podcast from folks is especially in in southeast asia people like kids be kids 
Yeah. You don't see people getting scolded for kids making loud noises at a restaurant or anything. In fact, they put playgrounds in almost every restaurant I went to throughout Asia. Mexico, to a certain extent, too. There's not a lot of shushing kids. There's not a lot of places that kids aren't welcome. Right. Well, can you tell me, is there a cool story that, like when you were caught off guard the first one of the first times where people were super into your kids or helping with kids over overseas? I think, I think Morocco, I was really surprised that how engaged the people were with kids. I was really kind of surprised how they were just so welcoming. And I remember the kids playing with cats in the Medina and Essaouira and things like that. Just they were just really welcoming to the kids. Everywhere we've been, they've been really welcoming. I will say this as a woman traveler and then as a mom traveler, I actually feel safer traveling with my kids sometimes than I do alone because I feel like as a woman of a certain age, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing with kids. <laughs> so yeah, I just feel like people just really welcome kids. I know we were on the bus to Chiang Mai in Thailand and even the travelers and he threw up mm. and he was sitting next to somebody else and the person just kind of took care of him. Aww. <laughs> and I was like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> but the person kind of took care of him and all of that kind of stuff. It really helped me out because, you know, that's a long nighttime bus ride to Chiang Mai for my God. That's a very long drive, yes. Yeah, but everybody kind of like sit napkins and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, people just like kids and they expect kids to do what kids do. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's an interesting experience for, for sure on the bus. What about your, what's your favorite, favorite experience or your destination that you and your children discovered together? I think Egypt was probably our best, like, vacation kind of packed experience. They were moving the museum. They hadn't moved it. I think now it's next to the pyramids, but it yeah. used to be in the city. And the museum during moving was like someone's attic, like, things were just everywhere and you could touch them and there were like all kinds of things you could touch you could go up to there were students everywhere eager to talk it was absolutely amazing it was an absolutely amazing time to be in the museum and i think egypt was just i think it just blew all of our minds at that point yeah it just really blew our minds. we didn't spend a long time there but it was more of like a quick trip, and we yeah. really enjoyed it. Egypt sounds like it's a one giant museum. I haven't yet been. I really would like to go. Sounds like it there's is. so much to see. It is. It's just one thing after another. Yeah, I'm not so great with always having to get a guide. And that was kind of the issue because some things are kind of far away. The guide stuff is kind of tricky, but um, Egypt is... Definitely a must-see. And I think they're going to come up with more and more restrictions, as they should, if they want to yeah. keep it forever. But when we went, it was like kind of a free-for-all. You could climb on things. You could go on things. You could touch things. It was pretty amazing. Yeah, like Central and South America started making more of those restrictions. I'm surprised Egypt wasn't first in all of that. So they have so much stuff though they have like it's yeah. really like an attic they have so many relics and so many things that it was pretty amazing uh, okay okay well sometimes you mentioned full-time travel and sometimes you mentioned vacation what's your definition between the two or your differentiation um Sometimes like when we're moving, we don't really get into the culture as much when we're moving quickly. And like Egypt definitely felt like a vacation because it was like every day we were doing something. We had these things we wanted to see. It was like that. More often we live in a place. We get an Airbnb for at least a month, maybe six weeks. And we kind of live there. We grocery shop, we go to markets, we get in routines. This was like more of just a quick trip. 
I think we were we would actually say we were living in Mexico at the time. So that also makes it sort of more of a vacation when we actually have a base somewhere. Okay. Okay. Now, I'm sure our listeners are curious about the logistics of full-time travel, though. Yes. So, with kids, how do you manage schooling for your teenagers while you're on the go? Well, schooling, I would say out of expenses, schooling and stuff for the kids is my second largest expense after housing. So if we want to talk about expenses, it's my probably my second largest expense. We've been homeschooling during COVID. My daughter studied for the IGSCEs in Malaysia, and we did some out school and we kind of pieced it together. In the last year or so, they were doing Florida virtual homeschool out of the U.S. But as they were younger, we just kind of pieced it together. And I'd like to reassure all the parents, they're in 10th and 11th grade now and on grade level and doing fine. And you can homeschool all the way up, I guess, until the end, until they go to college or you can homeschool at ninth grade like we did and they'll be fine. They'll be fine. They'll be the people that they would be if they were in school anyway. My daughter was going to make it no matter what. My son was going to do like what he wanted to do till the end. (laughs) He would have done it in school. He would have done it at home school. (laughs) Yeah, because that is, I I hear that often. People worried about, well, well, your kid's not full potential. is not going to be there if they don't go through standardized schooling and stuff like that. How do you how do you usually react to those types of inquiries? You know, I think like sometimes the essence of parenting is worrying is just like one worry after another. They are fine. They are fine. They are not used to people being mean for the sake of being mean. Nor do I feel like you have to get used to that. Like there's no reason for you to get used to it. You should recognize it as odd. I know, especially when my kids were like your son's age, parents are always around. You know, parents are always around kind of. So my kids, I think socially are shocked that people are rude. Sometimes they're shocked that people are mean for the sake of being mean. But should you really get used to that? I mean, they've been better off if they'd had nine years of that. No, yeah. I'm not sure they would have been better off. They find it to be odd, and they should. Yeah, they should. That's what we kind of, we talked to Little Man about as well, is people do get rude, and and I don't want you to get used to it, because that's like getting a little desensitized, and that's not good either. Yeah. Right. Right. So sometimes they come back and they say, well, the kids are so bad in class. And that kind of stuff. And I mean, it's part of public school. It's part of life. But should they get used to people just being mean? No, I don't think so. And they recognize it. Yeah. What did you end up doing for socialization while traveling? Well, especially before COVID, there's lots of co-ops. There's lots of groups. Playa del Carmen used to be a huge homeschool Uh, group and we used to meet every Wednesday. I also use some of the Facebook groups to say, hey, I'm traveling with my eight-year-old or nine-year-old daughter and we'd get together with families. There was no shortage of socialization in, especially before COVID. Also, I put my kids in classes, local classes with local kids and that kind of stuff. So yeah, there's no shortage of socialization. There's lots of people out there. Yeah, none. I mean, that's how that's how our families met in the first place right. through one of those groups. Right. <laughs> yeah. So no, socialization was never a was never an issue. Okay. Okay. Now, if you're comfortable, how do you fund this lifestyle? If you're comfortable explaining that. Well, a little bit. We had money coming in from the U.S. We had jobs and stuff from the U.S. that allowed us to fund it. So that's how we were able to fund it. We've been remote before remote was a thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's how we were mostly able to fund it. Okay. Excellent. So were these like W-2 type remote jobs or totally freelancing? People are out there kind of curious about what are the options available to them? 
Uh, they were both W-2 jobs, but one was sort of a contract position, and uh, my husband at the time was scaling down to being retired, so then he had retirement funds, so yeah. Okay, okay. And now, I know that your, your ex-husband you know, right. lives in a different country, and you're traveling with the kids pretty much full-time on, on and off, but most majority of the time, I would say. Um, so... How did you navigate your shared custody arrangements during this type of context? Well, a lot of the time we would come back to the U.S. and I'd leave the kids for the summer. Mm -hmm. So he'd have them for the summer or he'd have time when he was had more time off. Then for a while, we did an interesting thing where the kids had the house and we switched every three months. And that oh. was the best that was the best thing ever. <laughs> that, that was the best thing ever. That's um, an interesting approach. Tell yeah. more. Tell me more about that. <laughs> we just had the house in Malaysia, and when he retired, we switched every three months. So I would be there for three months, and he would be there for three months, and then COVID kind of ended that. Uh, but that worked out great. That was really great because the kids kept their same schedule and everything <laughs> went really well. And I spent a lot of time traveling alone and he spent some time yeah. traveling alone. So it was good. So you got some of that solo travel time again? I did. I did. I I think when you're dealing with, uh, I think when you're dealing with, and I'm, I'm back in the U.S. now. I came back probably a year ago but i think when you're dealing with another parent another person and you're not together i think i think there needs to be like people's people everyone's going to change you have to assume that from the time they're little to the time they're older and the agreements that you start with may not be the agreements you end with and everybody's going to change and everyone has different desires it would be nice to get things legally set as, yeah. as clear as possible but yeah but for a while it was going pretty well right now he's in thailand and i'm in the u.s and then he comes back and forth okay okay and for those that are looking to do this lifestyle and they might be in a, a separated arrangement also with their spouse did was there any special documentation that you needed while traveling to make sure that your kids could travel with you Yes, I usually traveled with a letter, notarized letter, and a copy of his driver's license or passport. No one's ever asked for it. I think it may be different for dads, but no one has ever asked me for any documentation. I know South Africa sometimes will ask or require it, but no one's ever asked me. No country's ever asked me for any documentation. Okay. Okay. Cool. That's probably Anything... good for your own protection to have a sign off. Yeah. Yeah. You would imagine it would be because there are, there are those one off situations out there where it might be important to challenge or verify. It would. So. You would think. <laughs> <laughs> any any anything else that comes up or that you think that is worth mentioning to somebody else who might be in a similar situation to you that they might want to know about? I guess just keeping in mind that things change and as your kids get older, they will have strong opinions on what is happening and all of that. They will have really strong opinions on school and what's happening and all of that kind of stuff. And the U.S. life can be really glamorized, especially if they haven't had it in a long time. Like my kids hadn't been in the U.S., for uh, eight or nine years. So, you know, it's a little bit glamorized. And I think that they're happy that we're back for family reasons and we have a dog and all of that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, but just keep in mind that things will change. Okay. Okay. Let's change gears a little bit. Let's talk about slow travel. Okay. So, what does that concept mean to you and your family? And why did you choose to adopt that approach for a lot of your travels? My daughter wanted it. And for the core family travel, everybody has to have the buy-in. 
She didn't want to keep moving. She wanted a house and her decorations and all of that stuff. And so we we would travel around Asia. We would travel around Australia. And we kept coming back to Malaysia. We'd be in Bali. And I mean, everybody loves Bali. And I need to try Bali without kids. We kept coming back to Malaysia. Malaysia had so many classes. They've taken classes at Patronus. They've done camps at Petronas. They have robotics. They have every mall seems to have robotics. Every mall has things for kids. It's really, really family oriented. It's really affordable. And it's also Air Asia space. Yeah. And it's English speaking. And it didn't have some of the complications that Thailand can have with visas and other things. So I picked Malaysia and it, it really became our home. And I think that that's what slow travel is about, really getting to understand the food and the people and making local friends and getting into a routine and all of that. Yeah. So then was Malaysia really your, your home base, yeah. as I would say? Yeah. yeah, it was our home base for almost three years. Three years, wow. Yeah. So, a lot of it was COVID, though. Oh, a lot of, okay, yeah. COVID did keep a lot of people in Malaysia. That's why we were there for so long. Now, is so you chose your home base, basically, because your, your daughter, your kids had had opinions. They wanted some stability type situation. Did, did you have any other home bases at any other time during these, these years of traveling? Mexico has been our home base twice. Twice. So when my daughter was in sixth grade, my son and I stayed in Mexico. And then when we left Malaysia, we went back to Mexico. Okay. And so how did you end up deciding to stay in Mexico for extended periods of time? Well, Mexico was open during COVID, which was a huge issue. What places that were open and available. And interesting enough, we never thought about coming back to the U.S. So Mexico was open. And also when my daughter was in sixth grade, I wanted to be close to go back and forth to Seattle. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So what were your thoughts about Mexico? Because a lot of U.S. people have varying thoughts about what Mexico life is. What did you experience? How would you define the culture or the living arrangements there? Um, well, I guess that I have thoughts about Mexico. I didn't really have a lot of, I thought Mexico was going to be basic. I didn't think it yeah. was exotic travel. I thought it uh -huh. was going to be, you know, not, but then I think initially Mexico with the home, school community was fantastic. We were able to walk over there. We met great families. It was really terrific. And yeah, I didn't have any sense of danger or anything around Mexico. I've spent most of my time in Playa del Carmen. And I think the worst thing that's ever happened, like everyone, my bike has been stolen. <laughs> and I've probably bought it back on Facebook Marketplace several <laughs> times, you know? I think that's the worst thing that's, like, happened in Playa del Carmen, in, in Mexico to me. But my general feeling about travel is, like, if you avoid drugs and alcohol to excess and you avoid flashing money, and you avoid other people's spouses and men and women and dangerous <laughs> situations like that, you're pretty much fine anywhere in the world. If you're just minding your business and doing your thing, you're fine anywhere in the world. And families are really fine because we're really doing the same thing everywhere we go. We're basically, you know, looking for fun stuff to do with kids and water parks and hanging out. And <laughs> so, yeah, I've never had a problem in Mexico. I moved from Playa del Carmen to uh, Mexico City, which I really prefer. You know, I think that's probably another thing about home, about the world schooling lifestyle long term. You yeah. grow, you grow, you change the desires you want it change. I think when I first started world schooling, I wanted easy. And Playa was definitely easy. It used to be easier, but it was definitely easy. Now I want 75 degree weather. I want yeah. culture. 
I want to live in neighborhoods where they speak Spanish. I want to do all of that stuff. And I, while I love the beach, I love to visit the beach. I don't need to live at the beach anymore. The, I don't mind struggling with Spanish. I don't mind, you know, getting on the metros and riding my bike in Mexico City and all of that stuff. I love it. And I much prefer it now. So now I'm like a different kind of traveler. I think I want what I want instead of, oh, how as easy is this going to be? It really sounds like traveling has changed you or you have changed with your traveling. It has. It really has. It has. And I, I'm, I'm always surprised when people say Mexico is dangerous. I'm, I'm like really, really surprised. I rode my motorcycle from Playa del Carmen to Oaxaca uh, in Mexico alone. So like I've spent some time, I've done some things in Mexico and I've always been felt welcome. It's also one of the larger black expat communities, especially Playa del Carmen. Is it? It is, yeah. Lots of, I would say, uh, 25 to 40-year-olds went to Playa del Carmen during COVID, and it's got a huge Black expat community, a really supportive one, too. Oh. Well, as a a white man, I don't have, I can't really see or say much about the Black community as I travel, but what are your insights into that? Traveling as a Black woman, has that been different? Has it been harder? Is it easier than being in the U.S.? What are your thoughts on on that? Um, I think it's easier than being in the U.S., but I think Asia, there's some curiosity. But the longer you live in the neighborhood, people are just used to seeing us. So Asia, there's some curiosity, less so in Malaysia than in like China or places like that. Thailand sees everyone. So that's, you know, pretty relaxed. But I'm happy to have been able to raise my black children outside the U.S. for a period of time. I think it's kind of changed their outlook and their expectations and their feeling about themselves. But yeah, Playa del Carmen has a lot of black expats and so does Medellin, Colombia has a lot too. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We were in Colombia for a long time. I loved Medellin. Medellin was amazing. It is Uh, amazing. (laughs) I love the the climate was perfect. Like you said, if you're looking for like that 70 degrees and just culture, Medellin right. is awesome. Medellin is awesome. Medellin is awesome. And they have some, if you, I think if you are a school person, if you're a person that feels like you don't want your kids to get behind in school, Medellin had some Catholic schools that were affordable. We looked at some Catholic schools there, and they were pretty affordable. Did your children pick up the language as you were traveling? My son speaks the best Spanish out of all of us because he played a lot. Ah. He played a lot, especially with the homeschool group. So his Spanish is probably the best. He's also not afraid to make mistakes. So, yeah, but the rest of us still struggle. But I know I got a lot better in Mexico City because I had to. But in Playa, you don't always have to, so you don't. Those are really good qualities your son has then. Yeah. Not afraid to make mistakes, willing to put himself out there. He's going to grow up to be something special. Yeah, yeah. You know, he he is something else. But he's not the school powerhouse. My daughter is. But he had some qualities that are exceptional. He has some really exceptional qualities. They both do, but he really shined, I think, during world schooling. I think if we had put him into school, he would have probably needed some kind of ADHD uh, help. I think he needed time to mature, and I think world schooling gave him some time to mature, and I think that that's been a really great thing for him. Because he does have some talents that aren't always recognized in school. Okay. When you were world schooling, how much of your personal time did you end up having to put in with the kids versus, here's a class, go do it. I'm going to go, I'm going to do some work. I think homeschooling is a lot of strain on mothers. 
Whether you're doing it in the U.S. or you're doing it abroad, I spend a lot of time looking for classes. I spend a lot of time looking for friends and looking for classes and kind of assessing where they are and that kind of stuff. I think homeschooling's a lot. Um, I think homeschooling's a lot, no matter where you do it. But also kids are independent. They play, they do things, they go out. And, so yeah, but it, it's a lot. Yeah, planning can be a lot. You have to love it, I think, a little bit. Yeah, I love the planning. I love the travel planning, the school planning, a little less so, but (laughs) I love the travel planning. But yeah. Well, then conversely, now that you're trying out high school in the US, how has this experience been for them? And what has it been like for you as a mom? I think it's best for the kids right now. My daughter's really interested in science. And I think it is the easiest way to go to college and to do all of that for us at this point. I had a really hard time adjusting. I haven't had a car for eight years. The U.S., I think I came back at a really expensive time for the U.S. So that was an issue. So I have had a harder time. I'm in North Carolina, which is really beautiful. I think I picked really well. And the kids are like, I guess, in the best school school in our school district. And I think that they're enjoying it, but I think they have a new appreciation for our old life too. But I think that they're enjoying it. And we will, I will stay here until they finish school. They really wanted that stability. That was really important to them at this point. They really want to know they're going to be here next year and the year after. So that was important to them. So I'm willing to give that to them after all the years of traveling and all of that. I'm willing to give it to them so they will get settled in school. And then I will head out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm already trying not to collect too much junk or get into too much debt because I plan to go back to Mexico. We have residency there. We went ahead Ah. and got our residency. I guess, you know, when they were doing the big push where you're not going to get 180 days and all of that, we went ahead and got our residency. Okay. Okay. So how did, how was that process? There was, there was a lot of confusion. My ex has a pension, so the kids have permanent residency right off. Um, I have temporary residency, which for me was one year, and then I, now I have a three-year temporary residency, and I think in three years I get permanent residency. It's a little confusing because all of the... Got there. I don't think they're embassies. Are they embassies? All of the different offices have different numbers for what's acceptable to uh, obtain residency. Um, so that can be a little confusing. We did ours in Atlanta. Um, so it's a little confusing. I hired someone um, to help. And I think the whole, so it was a little confusing, but we got it done and it's totally worth it. That's awesome. So is it all financial based then? That that's all they care about is how much you're you're making and contributing. Yeah, to apply, yeah, you apply at uh, you at a home embassy in the U.S. and it's financially based. I think it was around twenty three hundred dollars. Don't quote me on this, but it's five hundred times the Mexican minimum wage or something. You have to call the office and bring in a lot of paperwork, and then you come back to Mexico with a special stamp, and you start your process on the Mexico side, and then you get it. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I've heard of a couple of folks doing that process. So that's, that's really cool. So Mexico, you enjoyed it that much that you decided to get the residency there. Yeah. And I think it's going to be good when the kids are in college, cause I'll be close by. But like I said, Mexico really has everything. It really does. I really love Mexico city. I really love Veracruz. So yeah, it has a little bit of everything. Yeah, I liked Mexico city as well. It's big. But it's easy to get around. It's very and, easy. And yeah, and the people were very friendly. So I like Yeah, they're lot. not tired of tourists yet. They're no, not they're like not. like not like Playa where you're kind of like always being sold something. The price is what the price is in Mexico City. There's a solid middle class, yep. you know, solid Mexican middle class there, which just changes everything. 
great food. Uh, we have food from all over Mexico. Great flights. Grab and Uber are there. No, is it Grab? Is it Rappy? I think it's Rappy. It, it might be Rappy there. Yeah. Rappy and Uber are there. I think Grab is Malaysia, but yeah, Grab yeah, is Malaysia. Yeah, Rappy is there. Like I said, I haven't had a car in eight years. I know you guys just got a car and are on a huge adventure, <laughs> but it was. I haven't had a car in eight years, and it was fabulous. Wow. Yeah. Well, we're actually looking forward to moving on from the car next year and trying to trying to like free up our travels too. So that's going to be really cool when we're done with this 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 drive, this experience. I mean, it's a very interesting experience for sure. <laughs> it is. Driving is a very interesting experience. You just get a whole different experience. I didn't realize the toll roads were so expensive in Mexico. <laughs> they are like... All of Latin America is toll road, toll road, toll road. It's is it all Oh yeah. And you know, it varies, but it generally averages out, I think, to like a dollar each toll. Some of them are a little bit more, but here it's really pricey where we're in in Chile. Okay, right so it's supposed to be really kind of pricey. But Mexico's tolls were expensive. Yeah. They were expensive. They were. Yeah. So, but, all right. Now that you've gone back to the U.S., not forever. No. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to knock on wood, whatever, <laughs> whatever we got here. Do you have any tips for families looking to re-enter their country of passport after living abroad for several years? Um, I think the best thing is to keep everything updated, you know, keep a U.S. address, keep a U.S. driver's license, but really keep a U.S. address, not even a, not, we had a P.O. box that forwarded mail, but having a U.S. address, a real one would have been better, even if it's just a family member that that would have been a lot better. Yeah. And just, I guess, be prepared to grieve a little bit. Be just prepared to grieve a little bit. Because life is not easy. I know Mexico, I use Rappi, I use Uber. Here, I never use it. I mean, Uber is like $20 here. It's like $20 to get food delivered. It's like $40 to go to the airport. It's like there's just going to be like a sticker shop. Yeah. I really loved walking everywhere. I walked everywhere in Mexico City. I walked everywhere in Playa. I walked a lot in Malaysia. So to have to drive everywhere is shocking. To have fruit that doesn't taste like fruit is shocking. Yeah. It's also very quiet. I think the rest of the world is very noisy. So when you come to the U.S., it's very mysteriously quiet. <laughs> you start to miss the noise a little bit. Mexico, it's fireworks every night. Heck, most of Central America was that way. It's fireworks. It's house parties. It's everything every night. We are really a community. This is true. This is true. Now, all right. So now that you've also returned, is there anything that you wish that you had kept in storage for your return or anything that, that you regret from when you first departed? You know, no, I, I say, get rid of it all. We held on to Legos. My, when we came back, my son was no longer into Legos. We had those like under the bed, plastic crates of Legos. He was no longer into Legos. Most of the things we held on to were of no value. Even when we came back and visited, they weren't, he had changed so much. They had changed so much. I, I always feel kind of, I feel like I've bought things a hundred times, like the same things a hundred times. I was in Malaysia long enough to where I got rid of a lot of things, but it's not like I can bring small things back from Malaysia. I'm not going to bring my Nespresso machine back from Malaysia and things like that. But no, I don't think there's anything I wish I had kept. Not a thing, which is so interesting because I know people always struggle with should they hold on to things? And really, no. I spent no clothes. I would say even toys and stuff. What we do now, what we did, I think, when we packed up our last house is we paid the kids for their toys. We bought them oh. off of them. Interesting. Yeah. And then we got rid of them. And then they have the money to buy new toys. 
or new things that they want at some other point. But we just paid them for the toys that we bought them. Oh, okay. Well, that is an interesting concept, an interesting way of doing it. So, yeah, but I don't think there's anything, but I swear there's just a ton of things I've bought a million times, which is frustrating. But speaking of buying things while you're traveling, do you have any like great mementos, or are you the type that is like your photographs or your mementos? Mementos. We don't have a lot from our travels because we were traveling with those 26 liter bags, 30, 40 liter bags. We don't have a lot of mementos. And I don't really regret that. I'm not a real stuff person. So I don't really regret not having a lot of mementos. Yeah. We don't have a lot though. Yeah. So then what, what's next for you? What's on the horizon? Well, right now, I think I am trying to get myself ready. I think we're trying to use the U.S. for what it's good for. Right now, it's good for school. Right now, professionally, I'm doing some things to kind of expand and be able to maybe work contracts when I'm through with this. So I think the U.S. is great for a couple of things. I think it's great for therapists because therapy is sort of hard to get on the road. So we've been doing some therapy. I think it's great for school right now for the kids. And I'm just doing some things professionally, just trying to get myself together, you know, just trying to get myself together. So when I go out, I'm even in a better financial position. Excellent. Well, best of luck to you on all of that. Yeah. All right. Now we're going to have a fun little lightning round. Okay. All right. Coffee or tea? Coffee, definitely. <laughs> Cat or dog? Dog, definitely. Pool or beach? Beach. Okay. Uh, would you rather be able to understand and speak every language in the world mm -hmm. or be able to teleport anywhere at any time? Teleport. Traveling is horrible now. <laughs> traveling is so bad now. It's so bad. Also, I think when you've been traveling this long, you remember when it was easier and cheaper. Like after yeah. COVID, the cost really jumped. Yeah. That's what I've heard. Yes. Driving is a little different. I mean, yeah, we see different gas prices everywhere, but flying travel, I've heard, has gotten pretty expensive. Is expensive, but you know, like rent and places have gotten really expensive. I think Mexico's gotten more expensive. I hear Turkey's gotten more expensive. I don't know what Malaysia's doing now, but I hear a lot of places have gotten more expensive. Okay. All right. Now imagine this you mm -hmm. get off the plane at your next destination, but you arrive into the zombie apocalypse. Okay. <laughs> You're able to get to your bags. What's the first thing you would grab and why? The zombie apocalypse. Ah, uh, the first thing I would probably grab out of my bag. Hey, I'm not sure. What's the first thing I'd grab for a zombie apocalypse? Ah. Uh, What would be my bag that would be good for a zombie apocalypse? I have no idea. I probably already have my cell phone on me, so I would probably uh, grab toiletries. Toiletry. That's probably what I would grab. Like, there's nothing in my bag but clothes and toiletries, generally. I'd probably just grab toiletries. Um, yeah. This is a good piece of advice for the, the producers of the zombie movies out there. Nobody ever talks about the toiletries. Right. Like, I, but yeah, I'm not a big zombie movie person, but I think <laughs> the only thing that's in my bag that's not on me is probably toiletries. And they can probably be used to start fires or poison somebody or do something. <laughs> There's probably some chemicals in there that might be good in a zombie apocalypse. 
There we go. There you go. That's the first. That's the first for that for that question. So that's awesome. <laughs> you never have a gun in your bag. You don't have anything in your bag. <laughs> Except toiletries and clothes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do a little travel trivia. Okay. All right. What is the name of the famous temple complex in Cambodia that's a must-see for any Southeast Asia traveler? Angkor Wat, I think. Yes, that's what I would say. It's the best. Um, you haven't been yet? Oh, mm -hmm. It was amazing. Okay. We went with a. We went with an. Oh, what was he? Eighteen-month-old. Okay. <laughs> so, but it was still awesome. <laughs> All right, now, can you guess the Mexican city that's internationally renowned for its Day of the Dead celebration? Ah, uh, would it be Mexico City or Oaxaca? Patsucaro. Uh, Patsucaro is where you're supposed to go. It's in the state of Michoacan. Okay. And it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site for this reason. Oh, wow. So. So next time you're down in Mexico, especially down Day of the Dead time, try to make your way down there. Well, I want to see it. Beautiful too. It is. It is. Yeah, Oaxaca is good for Day of the Dead. I think that's where I spent it last time. Yeah, I think we saw it last time from. I think we were in what is it? San Miguel de Allende. No, that was no, that was for the crazies. That was the Day of the Crazies. I cannot remember where we did Day of the Dead last time. Brody's telling me Playa. <laughs> okay, that's not a hot spot of Day of the Dead, but no, no. was beautiful. Mexico awesome. City has the James Bond Parade, I think. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty cool, James Bond Parade. Yeah, they have the Parade. I think it was in a James Bond movie, and I've never been there for it, but Oaxaca was beautiful too. Cool. All right. All right. In in which Southeast Asian country would you find the stunning Halong Bay, known for its Vietnam. waters? Vietnam. Vietnam. Very good. Yeah. All right. Uh, do you know the name of the Mexican dish that's made of a folded tortilla with various mixtures, beef, chicken, seafood? Ah, this is it like. Uh, is it a taco? Is it a quesadilla? It's a taco. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a taco. <laughs> taco, quesadilla. Uh, tried to trick you up with that one. All right. <laughs> Can you name the unique method of transportation in Thailand used by locals and tourists that's essentially a motorbike with a sidecar? Uh, Tuk-tuk. Very good. I love tuk-tuks. It's so fun. All right, excellent. So, any final parting tips that you have for families looking to get into this lifestyle full-time family travel? Um, I think I've said it a couple of times. You will change. Your kids will change. Your circumstances will change for long-time family travel. Make sure to get some buy-in from your family. I would also say keep the cautiousness that you had in the U.S., I think that there are people in this community that sometimes take advantage. I think that there are some cult of personalities. Um, keep your suspicion, you know, pay attention. I know the pop-ups have been really popular and seem to work out really great. I think that's really great. And I know some wonderful people doing pop-ups, but I think some of the conferences and some of the speakers kind of are cultish and are trying to make money off of families. And of course, like Facebook is wonderful, but everyone's circumstances are very different. And just keep your common sense about you. Keep your common sense about you and be smart about things and take care of yourself. You know, traveling can be exhausting at times. So slow down. Sometimes don't have this huge itinerary. If you're tired, slow down and just really take care of yourselves and take care of your families and make sure it stays fun. This should be a fun thing. This should not be like, you know, drudgery. It should stay fun. I like that. It should stay fun. Yeah, if it turns into some kind of drudgery, then you're doing it wrong and you should reevaluate how you're doing it because there is a better way to do it for you. 
There is, there is, there's definitely better ways. And there's been time you're going to get tired. You're going to get sick. Your kids are going to go through phases that are like nuts. Um, <laughs> and you may need to slow down. You may need to stop. You may need to fly a mom or grandma or support person in for a little bit. You may find that certain places work better. I think when my son was younger, like being outside all day really worked better. Places where he could be outside, places where there was a lot of greenery, places where there were lots of playgrounds really worked better when they were younger. And you may not have this travel experience that you started with. Of, I think I've been to like every square and playground in Merida. I mean, yeah. Merida is known for so many beautiful things, but I was at every square and every playground in Merida. My kids just like to chase pigeons in the squares and like okay you know sometimes that's what it is yes definitely oh i'm sure all of us traveling families have photos or videos of our kids facing the pigeons <laughs> in beautiful places with great restaurants and oh, you're yes. like sitting on a little chair watching them chase pigeons Hopefully they don't catch one. <laughs> gorgeous statue in the background right. and the kid only cares about the little pigeons. Yeah. Right, 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 <laughs> right, right. So, you know, it's it should be fun and keep it fun and keep it and keep assessing like what your family needs. Definitely, definitely. Well, thank you, Z, for being with us today. It was awesome talking to you. <laughs> it's nice talking to you too. And uh, to everybody out there, thank you for tuning into the Our Upbeat Life podcast show, where we bring you the most inspirational, transformative stories of family life on the road. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast uh, to be the first to hear about the new episodes. Uh, check out the YouTube so you can see some of our amazing uh, interviews. And really, check out all of the social media channels to stay up to date with the latest things happening with Our Offbeat Life tips, friends, new inspirational folks like Z here. So until next time, remember the world is an extraordinary place filled with fascinating cultures, breathtaking landscapes, and unforgettable adventures just waiting for you and your family to discover. Well, thank you again, Z. Any final thoughts from, from you? No, just keep it fun. Keep it fun. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye.